The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. Sunday Independent has a um, very large Ireland thinks poll covering a multitude ranging from formations of the next government and which would be most popular to what are the issues that are currently on the public mind to which of the issues are the most significant priorities that any government needs to deal with and right up at the tippy top is housing. They then look at the various different popularity of the different party leaders and the different parties and there will be concerns, I would imagine, in both the yes side of the referendum campaign where there is fairly significant slippage and concerns in Sinn Féin which sees popularity drop, according to this poll, to 27%. Now, 27% is still a country mile ahead of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, but it is the lowest that they have been at in some while. We're going to be uh, talking to Conor Pope, Aoife Barry and Ursula Havish in a second about the issues making the news, including that poll. But before that, uh, it is published in the Sunday Independent where Hugh O'Connell is the uh, deputy political editor and he's with us this morning. Hugh, the poll, I suppose, from Sinn Féin's perspective, not great news. No, the headline numbers show that uh, Sinn Féin has dropped two points to 27%, uh, Fianna Gael on 20%, down up one, sorry, Fianna Fáil on 18%, up one, Social Democrats on seven, up two, uh, the Green Party on four, up one, Labour on four, unchanged, Solidarity Group for Profit on two, down one, A2 on two, down one, and uh, Independents and others on 17, down one. And from Sinn Féin's perspective, that's their lowest a poll rating in the Ireland Thinks series in three years. It was April 2021 was the last time they posted uh, such a low poll rating. Um, and it will be cause for concern, I think, for Mary Lou McDonald's party, particularly when you ally that with a rather interesting finding. We asked uh, voters, just voters in the South, uh, what they thought uh, in terms of Michelle O'Neill approval ratings. We, we lumped her in with the rest of the party leaders in terms of approval, disapproval ratings. And she comes out on top 55% approval rating, puts her a uh, good deal ahead of Micheál Martin on 47, Holly Kearns on 41, Leo Varadkar on 41, and Mary Lou MacDonald, her own party leader, on 39% approval rating. So she's well ahead of her own party leader. And I guess that follows a month of... Uh, Publicity around Michelle O'Neill, um, obviously she was elected the first nationalist, first minister of Northern Ireland, um, but also she's uh, garnered headlines with a very uh, well-received interview on the Late Late Show. And then she, even this week alone, she was in Windsor Park and she, uh, for I think the first time she's ever attended a Northern Ireland uh, international women's game, uh, women's team rather playing Montenegro. And uh, she stood for God Save the Queen. It was previously the tradition at Sinn Féin Ministers, deputy first ministers would uh, turn up late after the national anthems had been played. But there she was uh, this week standing for God Save the King. So uh, a significant uh, finding, I think. But but obviously Sinn Féin will be looking at that number, that headline number for them. And they'll be quite concerned, I would have thought. Whatever about the the, po- the popularity of, of Michelle O'Neill, which I think you've outlined the, some of the reasons why that would be the case. Mary Lou MacDonald seems to be um, suffering fairly significantly in terms of her own personal popularity because both as leader of the opposition and given what we've seen in terms of her relative popularity over the last number of years, 39% compared to Micheál Martin at 47 isn't a chasm into which she would like to be looking. No, certainly not. And I think one of the interesting findings as well today is that in terms of the, the, what the issues the public are concerned about, we asked them the kind of top two issues that they're most concerned about. 
immigration had featured quite highly on that over the last few months. And so there were a lot of people, uh, including myself, were drawing the correlation between that, uh, concerns about immigration and the fall in Sinn Féin's uh, popularity, uh, because Sinn Féin had very much uh, allied themselves with the mainstream government position on immigration and, and hadn't been calling for for tougher measures. But e even as immigration has dropped down uh, the list of uh, priorities for people, uh, it's dropped 10 points in a month. And I think that's reflective of the fact that the government has, um, you know, done things like they've cut uh, the amount being paid to new Ukrainian arrivals, for example. Um, and, and the issue has kind of gone off the agenda, notwithstanding that, you know, the, 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 the difficulties in terms of accommodation, the issue has not been dominating the news agenda. Um, but, but Sinn Féin's support I mean, if you look at it compared to last September, and um, when it was thirty-five percent, it's quite a quite a sharp decline, eight points down in the last six months, um, and that's been a more or less consistent fall in the Ireland Think series. And I think that's reflective of, yeah, you know, perhaps the public are are you know, notwithstanding the issues in the country, are broadly you know pleased with the performance of the government. I mean, you, you only have to look at the approval rating of Michal Martin. 47%. I mean, he's he's literally, if you know, if, in terms of leaders in, in the Republic, in the South, he is by far and away the most popular uh, party leader. He has the highest approval rating, uh, six points ahead of Holly Kearns on the Social Democrats, and six points ahead of Leo Radker. So, uh, you know, I think Sinn Féin and Marilyn McDonald will, you know, that they were already aware of a, of a fall in the polls. I mean, it's reflected across other polls as well that they've been falling back in the last few months. Uh, but this poll shows that even some of the work they might have done in the last few weeks to try and correct that. So, for example, the calling for the abolition of the TV license, suggesting an amnesty uh, for those who hadn't paid the TV license, uh, being very front and centre on the RT issues, you know, hammering the, the 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 housing issue, for example, hasn't really cut through yet for voters. I think you know, there's a problem for Sinn Féin that they have been almost inevitable for the last three or four years in terms of, you know, everyone thinks they're going to be leading the next government. And when you're that inevitable, you know, often for that long, uh, suddenly when it comes to the crunch and we are, you know, on the eve of, of, a, of, a, of a general election, certainly within the next year, um, you know, things can can kind of go haywire for you. And, and that might be what's happening now for them. I mean, look, there's a, there's a lot of time left between now and the election and the campaign will matter and the campaign will uh, determine the destiny of all of the political parties. Campaigns really do matter because it's really when voters focus in on elections. But I think that there will be there will be cause for concern in Sinn Féin this morning, and I think it's something that they're going to have to come to terms with, grapple with, deal with, and they're going to have to find a way to improve their poll rating over the next few months. Although, as you described that inevitability, in some way they are their success has become even in this discussion a, a bit of a stick to beat them with, because there is a time when, if you said you will see Fianna Fáil lagging Fine Gael by two percent, you'd say not a chance. And if you said both of them will lag Sinn Féin by between 7 and 9%, you would say couldn't happen in a month of Sunday. So they are still in a remarkably successful position by their normal performance, if we can use that phrase, albeit not quite as inevitable as they were this time last year. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, look, there's no doubt about it. They've been consistently the most popular party in the country since 2020, um, since the actual elections, the last time we had an election, a general election. So, look, y you know, you have to accept all of that. You have to acknowledge all of that. Um, they, they are consistently the, 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 the most popular party. Um, you know, that they are kind of creeping downwards towards what they got in the 2020 general election. But equally, Philadelphia and Fall have never really crept up toward, towards what they got in that election and certainly haven't improved or haven't shown any signs of, 
of improving on their 2020 performance. If anything, they're, they're going to do worse in this election. And there is still all indications, I think, that Sinn Féin will have the most TDs in the next all. The difficulty for them is how far short of them of an overall majority will they be? They will be short of an overall majority. There's no doubt about that. We're not going to have an overall majority uh, situation after the next election. But I think, um, you know, one of the things I think Sinn Féin will be looking at as well is the Social Democrats, uh, they're up two points to 7% in this poll. Now, that's, I think, an interesting finding. Might be reflective of the fact that those who are leaving Sinn Féin, we had thought they were kind of drifting towards independent candidates, particularly independent candidates taking a tougher stance on the immigration issue. But perhaps there are some Sinn Féin supporters of people who are minded to vote Sinn Féin or, and are angry at the government and aren't going to vote for the government parties who are flirting with the idea of Holly Kearns and the Social Democrats and, and what they've been talking about over the last few months. For the last few weeks. And the, the Sunday Independent does, uh, and I should say, by the way, this is all uh, information in the Ireland Thinks Sunday Independent poll, which is a, a two-page spread with analysis around, if you want to read it. But there is a breakdown then of popularity of various different government makeups, and we may get into that with our, our panel a little later on. Hugh, before I let you go, the other thing that is notable in the um, Ireland Thinks poll is you asked about the referendums. And if if you were drawing a trend line from the last poll to this one, if you were on the yes side, you'd want the vote to come right quick because the graph doesn't look to be heading in a direction that they would like. No, some really interesting findings there. I mean, I think that the kind of headline is is that the support for a yes vote has fallen significantly in both cases, in both referendums, and that, that the amount of people who are now not sure or won't vote are not are not going to vote uh, that has risen substantially so in the family referendum a uh, five point fall in the number of people saying uh, they're going to vote yes to 42 percent support for a no vote down six points to 23 percent but the number of voters who are now not sure or not voting has gone up 12 points to 35 percent and then in the care referendum support for a yes vote has fallen 10 points to 39 percent Support for a no vote has fallen three points to twenty four percent. The number, um, but the number of respondents who are either not sure or will not vote is up twelve points to thirty six percent. So I think the more and more that people have been hearing about these referendums over the last month, and let's let's be honest, I mean, it hasn't been hasn't been top of the news agenda, but it's certainly been in the news, and there's certainly been a lot of debate across uh, television and radio. And um, the more I think people have become confused about what they're being asked to vote on, hence that kind of rise in people. Who are not sure, and I think you know this kind of um, uh, this view often in, in campaigns and in referendums that if you don't if you don't know, vote no, and that's that's obviously a drum that the no side will be banging over the next few days. So I, I think this this will prompt alarm in, in government circles this morning, and indeed across the the yes campaigns. I mean, all of the political parties bar aim to are campaigning for a yes vote. But it would seem that as as the referendum draws closer, uh, people are more confused than ever. Uh, people are more unsure than ever, and I think that that does not bode well for the outcome of these referendums. Hugh, thank you very much. That is uh, Hugh O'Connell, who is Deputy Political Editor of the Sunday Independent. And as I say, there is significant coverage in in the Sunday Indo of both the political aspect of the poll and the other news uh, elements, which we will be getting into now with our panel, that being Conor Pope, Consumer Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times, Aoife Barry, who is freelance writer and journalist, and Ursula Nehavish, who is a political commentator. And before we came on air, I should report the conversation I had with uh, Ursula, which was, I said, by the way, in pronunciation terms, are you Nehavish or Nehovish? 
And she said, Nihavish. And you, you know what it is in English? And I said, no, I don't. What is it? And she said, savage. And her eyes read, you muppet. So it's always good to have a revelation on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Setting that to one side, folks, you're all very welcome. Let us begin with the uh, Sunday Independent poll because they've given a huge amount of coverage to mm. it. We talked about the relative popularity and it is worth just um, reiterating. While the trend line may not be positive from a Sinn Féin perspective, the core numbers are hugely positive. 27% compared yeah. to uh, 20 and, and 19 for the other biggest parties. But interestingly, Aoife, they do a breakdown of in a forced choice, in other words, gun to your head and you had to pick a government, what would you pick? And the answers seem to be all over the map. Yeah, it's so interesting. I have to say the the phrase forced choice sounds very dictatorial to me, it kind of puts a chill down my spine. But nonetheless, in a forced choice, 43% of people, which is up um, five points, um, people would go for a Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, Greens government. So yeah, there you go. Um, 39% down uh, four points is a Sinn Féin-led government excluding Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. And then 18% aren't sure. Um, and another fourth choice, the preferred options would be, again, it would be the current coalition again, Fine Gael, uh, Fianna Fáil and Greens. That's 40%, 39% down two points, uh, Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and 21% not sure. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see it's that idea of um, people preferring to go for what they know and, uh, you know... But it basically it, means like, that taking out the not sures, any organisation of any of the largest parties in yeah. any possible format would all be equally popular. Well, there you go. Probably shows it, you know, I mean, if I was... I suppose, yeah, looking at this, I think that idea that there isn't that clear answer to it is really interesting. And it, I think it does show, it does go back to people being unsure about uh, moving away from what they know, even though people are also very unhappy with what they know. So it shows that people are finding it kind of hard to decide what they want. With the general election looming as well, I think that is maybe a little bit worrying as well too, if there's not a clear consensus on what people are actually looking for. Um, but it, also with the forced choice, people are being forced in that question to answer what to, they're given the permutation and, and then they have to say what they want out of that. So it's not like it's a free-for-all where people are choosing what they want their um, their government to be made up of. So that'd be interesting if it was reversed. But that is the reality of what will mm. happen depending on how the numbers shake yeah. out. You don't get to pick what way yeah, the, the numbers true. cause the government to come together. Interestingly in this, Connor, housing is still unsurprisingly right at the tip top of the issues that uh, people see as the most significant for the government to deal with. What, 48% of people, so more or less half of the people saying housing is the single most important thing that has to be dealt with. It doesn't seem to be damaging the government parties as much as you would have thought. No, and I think that's probably the thing that's going to cause Sinn Féin the greatest concern over the next couple of weeks because housing was their touchstone. It was the thing that they were hammering the government with, with over and over and over again. And the other thing that's really alarming for them is um, the fact that, well, there's two elements to it. First is the fact that you, you mentioned, OK, they're still by far the, the most popular party and they are 27. But six months ago, they were on 35 percent and now they're on 27 percent. So there's two things that would be con of concern to them. And you'll know this more than I am and than I will, Anton. First is the fact that the government has gone through some of the most catastrophic crises that you could possibly imagine over the lifetime of the government. So there was the pandemic. There was the energy crisis sparked by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There was the cost of living crisis. And yet the government is still holding its own. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing that would be probably even more alarming for Sinn Féin is that real buzzword in political circles, which is momentum. Now, you want the momentum to be heading your way as we head into an election. Now, we're less than a year out and the momentum seems to be, in fact, with the government as opposed to with Sinn Féin. And that would be of great concern to the party. And the housing crisis hasn't gone, it hasn't gone away, you know. It's still there, as we all know. 
and yet the government's popularity is inching up. Now it is only inching up but I think that would be of grave concern to And Sinn it's Fein. interesting you mentioned the uh, momentum issue because Pascal Donoghue being interviewed in the, in the Business Post he says um, uh, quotes the Sinn Féin poll slide will accelerate and it is his view that the momentum is going to be reversed. Now he's going to be with us in a while so we'll get his view on that but it's very much fighting terms from Pascal Donoghue isn't it? Well listen we are in, in into the business end of any kind of election cycle because you know the government and a lot of people would have said, well, they mightn't last the five years, but they have. They're going to last the five years. Uh, we're going to get to, to this next September. Then we're going to get into a budget. And barring any upset of the apple tart, to borrow a phrase from uh, somebody else, um, we're going to have another monster budget. We're going to have a giveaway budget. Everybody's got... Like, the government Does will, that matter I'm, anymore? I'm, Does that work? 100%. Does it? Absolutely. Now, Pascal will probably come in and say there won't be any giveaway budget because Pascal is... Like, it's all about fiscal responsibility and fair play to him. Absolutely. But there will be a budget that is quite generous, I would imagine, if, if, if everything stays the same. And that will put even more pressure on Sinn Féin. Uh, just ahead of the election. So, as I say, there's a, lot, there's, a, there's a lot of fighting left to be done. What did you make, Ursula, of the popularity of Michelle O'Neill? Because uh, it is rare that somebody comes into such a, a honeymoon. 55% popularity. That's fairly remarkable, isn't it? It is indeed. Not only 55%, but 16 points ahead of Mary Lou MacDonald. Like, that is incredibly significant. But obviously, we're talking there about momentum and things like that. The restoration of Stormont has obviously given Michelle that boost because she is so visible. She is has been so articulate and she has really been seen, you know, standing with Emma Little Pangeli, really with all the the just looking like such a leader, just looking so clearly much like a leader. And she's had this positive way of coming because of that. Mary, uh, Michelle O'Neill knew this has been coming for a long time. Like at some stage, she's kind of been in, a, in that role. She's been first minister and waiting for a long, long time. So she's been prepared. She's been ready. She's been able to get her talking points down to the exact dot that she wants. Whereas she's Mary made Lidl some Dahl, interesting choices around symbolism. I mean, Hugh O'Connell yeah. was referring to the mm. thing of showing up and standing for yes. the British national anthem. And what she's shown as well is when she says that she's going to be a first minister for everybody, she is actually, mm. as we'd say in Irish, Bart Derby here, she's actually taken actions based on her words. So she's not only symbolically saying what she'd like to do and what would be nice and all the rest of it. She's really, she's doing the thing. And that's something that Mary Lee MacDonald, as the leader of the opposition at the moment, can't actually do. She can't do the thing at the moment. She can only say what she would like to do and what she would want to do. And I think perhaps one of the challenges that Sinn Féin and the South are facing at the moment is that while people were looking at them for a very long time as the opposition and the leader, of, you know, she was the leader of the opposition and all the rest of it, now they're looking at them as a potential government. And I think that's why we're seeing this change in the polls coming in. Whereas Michelle O'Neill and Sinn Féin in the North, they're able to just ride this wave of saying, mm-hmm. we said all along we wanted to come back, now we're back and we're doing really well and everything we promised is going to come out. And how long that will last yeah. will be very interesting. I think that will be very interesting because we've already seen some things in the North in terms of Casement Park, in terms of different policies, in terms of trying to put the budget together, which is going to be very very tight talking about a giveaway budget in the south and whether or not that makes a difference to how people feel about the political parties it will definitely oh, but there's a make lot a difference in the north public money starting to flow into the north not nearly enough I'll tell you that <laughs> not nearly enough and because Chris Heaton Harris the Secretary of State for the North he said before Christmas we know that we're not giving you enough money and so even whatever's going to be poured in now there's still going to be costs there's still going to be difficult times so it will be interesting to see in another in, in the next poll whether Michelle O'Neill's rating is still going to be as high as that I want to pick up on that issue of momentum because mm-hmm. it is interesting in relation to the referendum Yes is now down to 42% with 35% not sure 
and in the one recognising a woman's uh, role within the home, I, I'm referring obviously to the phraseology currently within the constitution as opposed to my own thinking, um, yes, 39% down 10 and almost equal to the not sure. We will get analysis of that after this break. Now, before the break, we were talking about the uh, referendum results from the Ireland Thinks poll. And Aoife, if you were the yes campaign, you'd kind of want the vote tomorrow if that's a trend line, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. I'd say they're pretty worried today looking at that. But I, I think really what looking at this really shows and what I'm seeing, you know, with my own friends and people I'm chatting to about this is the level of confusion around how people are going to vote has been growing in a way that like I've never seen with a referendum in the, you know, in most of my adult life anyway. Um, it's that idea that, you know, there's people are being asked a few different things and they don't necessarily understand the impact of a lot of that. So if this was a referendum about removing the clause, the quote unquote women in the home um, clause, people, I think there'd be a lot more, it'd be very clear, the clarity would be there, people would be either remove it or not, but it's the replacement it's the care um, element of it as well people are being asked to vote on and there's more and more discussion around how that will impact um, people who are carers people with disabilities and I've seen a lot of people sharing information reading a lot more people are very eager to find out more to see how they can learn about how they will vote but at the same time people are changing their vote in a way publicly talking about that in a way I've never seen before either Um, and I've also seen a lot of what I would see is very low quality information with an agenda or misinformation being shared a lot online um, on kind of unofficial campaign pages on Instagram people sharing information infographics that definitely have information that is very biased towards kind of anti-immigration, anti-LGBTQ rights, for example, that really worries me about the, the sort of information people are taking in while they're trying to make a decision about a confusing referendum. Um, and I'd also say that I really feel like, and, and this is backed up by what Kevin Cunningham says as well um, from Ireland Thinks in um, the, the Sunday Independent, if your referendum questions are so confusing that people are changing their vote or do not know how to vote or are taking in misinformation and are confused, I think there's an issue with what people are being asked. And it's really disappointing, I think, because, you know, I think it also shows that most of us didn't go to classes on constitutional law. Most of us are trying to figure out from experts how uh, the, what the impact of this referendum will be. And there's a lot of, I think information coming that might confuse people or maybe is saying saying that the impact of the referendum might not necessarily be what a constitutional lawyer would say it is. So I, I'm... The, old, the other thing that yeah. seems to be coming through in some of the discussions around it is that it's not just that the answers aren't being clearly expressed. They're not clear in to yeah. be expressed. I mean, I asked Mary McAleese about the implications of the durable relationships and whether or not that would be mm-hmm. decided in court. And to some extent, she more or less said, well, look, that's what the courts are for. Yeah. But it's a difficult prospect to vote on something where you say, well, it's going to take court precedent to decide what it means. Exactly. It really is. And I think a lot of people just won't understand that or will be thinking, why am I being asked to vote on, like, why am I being asked to vote on something in a referendum when I don't really know what the outcome of that will be? Whereas to say with the previous big referendums on on same-sex marriage or marriage equality and abortion. It was very clear, pretty clear what was going to happen. Very clear, obviously, with same-sex marriage. Um, and that meant then that the campaign sides, like, even though they were coming from opinion opinions, they weren't necessarily giving what could be confusing information. But I think people are really confused when they look at this because they do, they are being told, oh, durable relationships will result in a right or will result in something that people might um, see as the equivalent of a, of a law being put into place. But that's not what you're voting on with the referendum. So I agree with you that it is confusing for people. Um, and if you do have people representing a certain side to vote and are saying, well, we don't really know it needs to be tested in the court, like that's not really an answer that really 
guide directs people towards how to vote. So it's disappointing, I think, for most people. Actually, I'm disappointed that it's so confusing. I, I think it's worth making the point, Anton. And you said, oh, yeah, you'd be very concerned or a little bit concerned if you're part of the Yes campaign because you've seen the support slide by five points. It's worth pointing out that the No campaign's support has slid by six points. Mm. <laughs> a fine point. That is a yeah. fine point. In the yep. same poll. Yep. So, you know, the, the No campaign, and to, to, to really simplify it, is actually doing worse at convincing people yes, than the Yes campaign. Yes, a much greater percentage of their support. <laughs> yeah, um, so so, so that, that's worth making. So I, if yeah. I was part of the Yes campaign, and I'm not, but if I was part of the Yes campaign, I wouldn't be overly concerned because there is still broad support for the referendum. So and maybe it w- both sides need it, to be, it need will to equally be, it will really, be passed. Yeah. Now, I think yeah. what would probably be... Oh, you'd be confident it'll be passed? 100%. There, yes, I mean, I, I would... I, I'll be back in here next Sunday, Anton, and I will eat, eat, <laughs> welcome, eat, eat that jumper if it's not. No, I would be very confident. Be Sorry, I, I don't mean that facetiously, but when we were talking to uh, Michael McDougall last week, one of the things he pointed to was, you remember the Shannon referendum? It had a mm. similar yes-no split at the outset yeah. and it turned across. The, so he was saying that's his prediction. Now, his political predictions have been wrong. They have be been so. wrong in the past. Uh, but I, I would imagine that it will be passed. And I, and I, I actually went, uh, as part of a uh, marking for the Irish Times, I went to the launch of the One Family family campaign for a yes vote and like it's very clear that for, for, for them it's, it's, it's really about inclusivity and widening the definition of a family because an awful lot of the people who were part of that campaign they were single mothers in the 1970s they were single mothers in the 1980s and they were completely disregarded in the constitution they were not considered to be a proper family in our constitution. And that's just a shocking situation to be in. So you strip away all the all the muddying of the waters that a lot of people do in all referendums when it comes to, say, oh, is it going to be challenged in the courts? I Fine, that, mm. let it be challenged in the courts subsequently. But the bottom line here is, and again, not part mm-hmm. of any campaign, but this is about saying to the single mothers who were so badly mistreated in Ireland in the 70s, 80s and in more recent times that you know what you are actually a family Okay uh, I should say by the way Conor Pope is with us Consumer Affairs with the Irish Times Aoife Barry uh, writer and journalist and Ursula Nehavish political commentator Aoife you want I just think like I'm not disagreeing with you in terms of the aims or the background as to why these why um, these things being put forward but I will say like based on what I'm seeing people sharing people who um, are sharing things online from certain kind of sides of the campaigning and what they're suggesting is the outcome of of this change Mm. I do think there are people who might in a normal circumstance would say yes remove this amendment out of the quote unquote women in the home like I mean it makes sense it's like 2024 but they're being confused at what the impact of that would be Mm. and And I think that's really I think they don't know if you're arguing just very quickly if you're arguing against something and you don't have any real basis for that argument. You just sow the seeds of confusion. That, mm-hmm. That's rule 101 in these kinds of debates. Of and course, that's what's happening. But I think also some of that confusion is coming from rolling in topics that we know from these sort of polls people are really concerned about or thinking about or talking about. Mm-hmm. Things like immigration and rolling them in in a way of suggesting that the this, this referendum is somehow going to have an impact in, in immigration in Ireland. And I mm-hmm. think that is very worrying, what I am seeing about what it is saying, because it's in saying stuff that doesn't seem to be true at all, and yet people might be, might be afraid that it is true. If they vote a certain way, there's going to be an impact on immigration. And that might sound completely wild, but that is what people are saying on um, yeah. certain yeah. sites online. I completely agree. And to go back to the point you made about Kevin Cunningham saying earlier on that if he was speaking to... Um, somebody putting together these questions now, he'd say, you need to ask a better question. Mm-hmm. Because yes. what's happened is that, like you said, the momentum has gone towards confusion and nature abhors a vacuum. In all this space where there isn't clear information and a clear understanding of what's happening and what's going on and why it's happening and why the car has been, the, the car element of, of the 
amendment has been entered in the way that yeah. it has, that has led to all this opportunity to add these red herrings and to bring in these different stories and for people to capitalise on their own agendas a little bit Definitely. and to bring in different things that aren't to do with this referendum. But what I think this comes back to is that the referendum, although it's such a long time coming, at the end of the day, it has been rushed um, because they decided that they wanted to, I think it's a wee bit gimmicky as well, they wanted to hold the referendum on International Women's Day on March the 8th. So they didn't give themselves enough time between getting the word out, which meant that neither the yes nor the no campaigns really had the time to do the groundwork to present the arguments in the way that they wanted. And also I think the government really was a little complacent in the way that they thought people want to see this thing changed. We'll recommend a change and people will go with it. I do yeah. think there's been an element of that there because you haven't seen the parties coming out strongly, campaigning, shouting from the rooftops about why they think this is a really good idea. They think we told you we'd have a referendum so we'll have one. What more do you want? Yeah. saying the existing words in the constitution mean nothing and have meant nothing for years. I assume that means in terms of the, the implications they've had in legislature or court decisions. Although again, there are arguments about that. But the existing words in the constitution mean nothing and have meant nothing for years. The meaning of the new wording is unclear. People are not unclear. The wording is. Mm-hmm. Another, the referendums are an example of rushed confusion to satisfy a small cohort of people. And then the person declares which way that they're going to vote. It doesn't strike me as rushed. I mean, this was a citizens' assembly and, I mean, they're only coming up with four sentences. They've been at it for about a year and a half, haven't they? The timescale between the starting gun and the actual referendum, though, has been very tight in terms of actually organising the campaigns. It's not that because there was people talking last week there there's somebody doing a fundraiser in order to print leaflets for the referendum last week. And so, you know, right. that's not going to happen, you know, depending you get a hold of a printer these days. So. And the wording is different. <laughs> yeah, and the wording's different too, I think, uh, yeah. with some part as to what the uh, citizen, what the, was recommended Um to, to be put in. So I think that's also a change. You're not even yeah. going with what people actually... Exactly. Yeah. So, the, yeah, so what happened was what came out of the Citizens' Assembly. So you're right, there was a long time ago. There yeah. was a lot of time put into that, but then that's not what they've gone with. So people are going, well, hold on, that isn't what that is. So that's do we have to go yeah. back to the drawing board? Yeah. But the upshot here probably will be that there'll be a very low turnout. Mm. Like very low turnout. Mm. Maybe 30%. And that low, do you think? Well, I think there was a referendum, children's the children's referendum, referendum was 33%. 33%. So there is speculation that it might be lower than that, or, or in or around that number, which I think is a, quite a depressing. You, are a, you have such a jaundiced view of things, Connor. Sure, it says here that when people were asked, two thirds of them, 64%, said they will definitely vote. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I agree about the low turnout. I think it'll be yeah. really, I think it'll be really interesting to see who turns out. And I think it'd be, you would hope that lessons would be learned from this, like several lessons would be learned from it. Because if anybody who's been looking at that, um, you know, part part of the constitution that claims, you know, you know, again, women and women, you know shouldn't be allowed to, shouldn't have to be under pressure not to work outside the home etc anytime we've been looking at that over the last number of decades if you felt that like it'd be great to have that removed and I have to go through all of this to <laughs> to kind of see for the for you see it happening it's just this is why my sentences aren't making sense because the whole thing <laughs> just kind of baffled me. It could have been the so much better and my brain I, my brain has stopped actually working I think on this topic because it's just so uh, yeah, Well we'll move to a new topic then because Please after do. the break we'll we will analyse what we're doing together. the crystal ball. Connor has already committed to eating my jumper if this referendum doesn't pass. We will get him to make a similar bet in relation to who is going to be the chair of the RTE board because the Business Post has given us a breakdown of who the runners and riders are and we'll discuss that after this break. We will continue our analysis with our panel that being Connor Pope Consumer Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times and new presenter of the TV show The Complaints Bureau. More of this later, Connor. Phew. Hold. <laughs> Aoife Barry, freelance writer and journalist, and Ursula Nihavish, political commentator. A lot of response in respect of uh, the discussion around the referendums. Um, this referendum will do nothing for single parent families. Um, they are not classed as a durable relationship. This wording is meaningless. Well, I'm not sure 
I'm not sure there is a, a standard definition for durable relationships. So I don't know whether it fits or doesn't fit. Uh, what are the financial repercussions of the constitutional amendment changes? Has any assessment been done? Another, Anton, there is no circumstance when two entirely different constitutional questions should be bundled into one single referendum day. Any one of these questions is worthy of a dedicated referendum with all of the necessary and associated time and discourse around each. With the exception of the usual elitely held discourse among NGOs and academics, these issues have not made their way into ordinary dinner table discussion. Well, according to the Sunday Independent Ireland Thinks poll, one of the issues that has made its way into ordinary uh, dinner table conversation has been RTE because they said to people, which recent news story have you been most interested in? Number one, the Israel-Hamas war. Number two, the RTE controversy. And it rumbles on because on the front page of the Irish Daily Mail or the Mail on Sunday today, we have a headline that says 70k year roll for RTE's ex-CFO. This is their chief financial officer who exited through a severance deal and then continued earning €70,000 a year looking after RTE's superannuation scheme, which was a part-time gig, according to the Mail on Sunday. And then in the Business Post, we have the runners and riders for who is likely to be the next chair of the RTE board. And they say there are four in the mix. Paul Reid, formerly of the HSE, uh, Terence O'Rourke, formerly managing partner of KPMG and chair of the ESB. Elaine Geraghty, formerly of this parish and currently running Ardmore Studios, from where Shunni Rahalig departed to become chair of RTE. And David McRedmond, the current CEO of OnPost. I would have thought, Ursula, out of that list, mm-hmm. one almost definite to not want this particular poison chalice is David McRedmond. Well, this is it. You know, it's really is um, an interesting way to be to have your name thrown into something like this here, it must be very unusual for people, you know, to have to decide about whether or not they want a job that maybe they don't want their name anywhere near or maybe they're dying for the job and at the same time they're, you know, knowing that it's going to be such a poison chalice and it's wondering, I'm sure, each one of these applicants or anybody else who's in the mix is wondering, will they be going in to deal with the disaster, to be having to, you know, be scrutinised in every single moment they do, to, to really have it put up to them at every moment? Or will they be walking in in a position of power going, you know you're not going to get anybody else for this job. You know that nobody wants to be dealing with this. So I can go in here and maybe have a little bit of influence. There's because always somebody though, isn't there? There's, there's always, always somebody. somebody. There is always going to be somebody. But it's, it's just it's interesting though, whether or not it's going to be any of these. I, I think it's even just a funny even concept actually to have sort of a list like this of the runners and riders. You wonder how, how their names come into the mix or how much do they well, know about this. particularly David McRedmond's name, Connor, because David McRedmond was in the running for the DG job, which pays €275,000 a year and comes with actual power. He wasn't shortlisted into the final set of candidates for it, as far as I remember rightly. What civil servant is going to pick up the phone and say, listen, David, can we put the unpleasantness behind us? Would you like to be chair? Yeah, no, I think there was a report in another one of the newspapers. I'm not sure exactly which one, which has David McRedmond ruling himself out of the job. Um, and you can imagine... Which is unsurprising. Which is unsurprising, as you say, because he, he would have been one of the contenders for the DG job. Um, you know, he had a background in television. He's done extremely well and on post. Um, and... You know, he wasn't even, as you say, considered in the, in the, in the final uh, shake-up. So he, I can't imagine he'd want to do it. The other contender that I've heard his name... Just sitting on that mic, Weaver, Connor. Yeah, the other contender that's been repeatedly mentioned is Paul Reid. Paul Reid from the HSE, you know. He, he would be considered, you know, he, he, he's handled arguably way bigger crises than this. Not arguably, definitely way bigger crises than this. Terence O'Rourke from KPMG, safe pair of hands maybe. And then, as you say, Elaine Garrity. Um, I, I, I think they probably need to just get it sorted out quickly. You know, um, 
Is I it think, attractive to any of those people? I mean, if you take Elaine Garrity, who was actually in here talking about this issue recently, and if I recall rightly, I can't remember her salivating at the prospect of being chair when we talked about it, but, but do any of those people want this gig? Well, you have to ask those people. I wouldn't be privy to their private thoughts. But the bottom line is, it's not a, it's not a bad gig. And I think once RTE gets over the, the, the current crises, if, if it ever does, you know, it, it, it'll be a, a good enough job. I mean, Shun Nirahala was very, very highly regarded. And I, I think this time last year, she could never have anticipated that she would be where she is now. Um, I think it was interesting you mentioned the the, 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 the Indo poll and you, you said that people are very interested in it. I thought it was interesting that the numbers who are extremely interested in it still are 25%. So that's one in four. So in this room, only one of us is extremely interested in the, in the story Which one? based on the poll. <laughs> you can decide. Then 30, was it 34% are moderately interested um, 30% were interested in it at one point and are now no longer interested and then 11% were never interested. Weirdly, they then break it down by which outlet you read <laughs> and if you read the mail, you're mad interested. One in three people like it when they're it's in actually, the mail. It's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting question that's asked but I, I think that, that the story has, you know, it'll run for a while yet, you know, um, and I, I think if RT were smart, they'd, they'd Get, get rid of the who's going to be the next chairperson question very quickly by making the appointment fast. Yeah. Well, the they government has told a, us Tuesdays when we're going to They don't want to do an know. FAI in it. And they don't want to wait like months and months mm. and months for the, the Lee Carsley of the broadcasting world. I assume though the question for any of these individuals, if it is any of these individuals, Aoife, is at what point are we on on the curve? Because if yeah. it has hit bottom, now is a lovely time to take over because you're red adair, you're in solving the problem. If it hasn't hit bottom, you sacrifice your relationship and take or your reputation and take yeah. it Definitely. And it's an interesting timing too coming after what happened with Junior Rally because now that that's happened, lessons will have been learned by the minister, Catherine Martin, um, in terms of dealing with that sort of situation again. So you're kind of probably unlikely to see that sort of thing happening to you, right? So you're like, OK, well, that's done. I probably won't face the kind of primetime situation that, sh- that, that we all face there. But am I able to come into this role and either accept that I'll only be able to do, you know, a certain amount of work and I'm probably going to come out of it not looking any better? Or do I feel like I have enough skills to be able to actually turn things around? I think the issue with the RT situation at the moment is that you're having more and more information coming out that's kind of from from, kind of from back and back and back and back. So it's like this person was paid this amount of money, this exit package was paid. And as that happens, staff are obviously finding out all the stuff they didn't know before and are getting more annoyed about, I suppose, the culture, um, what's hidden from them, perhaps, or what they do or don't know. Um, and this that, goes that, to that puts more to pressure Connor's then. point around the sort of the general weariness of people. Yeah. The, the appetite for that to fuel the public interest must be waning at this stage. Especially when it's not breaking news in terms of stuff that's happening right now. It's stuff Mm -hmm. that's kind of happened in the past and that's being uncovered. And I think as well, if you look at the way different newspapers present that, some papers presented in a way that this is a huge scandal that this thing happened and maybe another paper or another individual might say well this is just what happens in these situations so it depends too on like how outraged you are and maybe where you're actually getting the information from but I would not necessarily envy anybody who decides to come in but like you say the timing for them might actually be better than if this was a There's also an issue about what level of of actual power the chair has because we got a text text to say when you look at McRedman's career to date and then compare against the mess in RTEs is another stain on the bib of the board that this guy wasn't considered. He was considered but he wasn't taken to the final Mm. round for the CEO of RTE. Now if you're unfamiliar David McBedman was the man who ran TV3 and ran it very successfully and he then went into on post and took over what was one of the more significant turns and rounds of a a state company that we've seen probably in, in the nation's history. 
It says it uh, it goes a long way to saying why RT are in the mess they are. It would have been great to see McRedmond go in there and tear the whole place apart for a long overdue restructuring and arse kicking, which is a nice notion, but that's the DG's job. That's not what the chair mm-hmm. can do. Well, with that evidence of nobody giving the tiniest rats about whether or not... <laughs> what can we say at this point? <laughs> if ever there is a motif for the general attitude to RTE, fine then. Let us talk about the things that's floating your boat at the minute. I said earlier on, Connor Pope has a TV show, The Complaints Bureau. The first episode, put it in your... What do the people have now? DVRs? What do you do? Can you DVRs. Program, <laughs> do you program the video recorder? Whatever. It is on an RTE one at uh, 7 p.m. See, that's why you're afraid of saying anything about RTE. You're within the belly of the no, beast actually, now, No, no, no. And I'll tell you what, the, the program is called The Complaints Bureau. It's on at 7 p.m. next Thursday. It's, 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 a, four, it's a four-person thing. Owen McGee, the... TV presenter and financial expert. He's kind of the presenter of the programme and then myself, Siobhan Maguire and Amy Malloy from the, uh, from the Irish Independent are tasked with, tasked with solving viewers' problems. So that's so, so basically it's like Charlie's Angels. Owen McGee is Charlie. I'm Farrah Fawcett. Um, and we go, off and so, we, go, we go off and solve the problems. But and I'm going to be serious here for a second. I actually do think it's a, an excellent example of public service broadcasting because... RTE gets an awful hammering and has got an awful hammering for the last uh, eight, nine, ten months. But it is an essential part of our society. And this programme, I think, is a really important programme because what it's, what it's going to do is it's going to show, show how badly and how frequently people are let down by businesses big and small, by rogue traders, by uh, cosmetic procedures, by uh, airlines, travel companies, all of that stuff. We're going to try and fix the problems. We're also going to try, going to try and empower people to say, listen, this is, these are the things that you, you, you're not alone if you've experienced these difficulties and there are people who will help you. So I do think it's an important programme and it's also going to be quite entertaining, I hope. But it's more important than entertaining. Is it going to be frustrating for you? Because I cast my mind back at one stage to dealing with the consumer issue with a, a caller on a, a radio programme where it ended with me actually buying him a microwave because I just decided <laughs> it's easier than dealing with the company. Yeah, oh well, actually, the way, the, the way it works is, is there's, so there's three stories dealt with every week, okay? And I've, I'm given one, Amy's given one, Siobhan's given one. And sometimes we have success and sometimes success comes easy. Sometimes you just have to pick up the phone to a company and say, listen, would you just sort this out? And then sometimes you have to jump through all manner of hoops and eventually you get a resolution. And then sometimes, despite jumping through all the hoops and despite despite... The full power of RTE to try and get a problem resolved, the company will just go, meh, we don't care. And that's quite frustrating. You have the Complaints Bureau coming up, RTE 1, 7pm Thursday, and then eight episodes, well, seven episodes thereafter, eight in total. Ursula, I should, while you are here, we should mention um, Shakhtar Nagelge because it kicked off. This is why all of our news and, and uh, inserts in the station are Osgelge at the moment. Kicked off Friday? Friday, the first, first March. Runs till? The 17th of March. It's a 17-day week. And would you be optimistic that people will use it as a reason to return to Irish if they have wandered off? Absolutely. I think shocked in the Gaelic is to the Irish language sort of what New Year's resolutions are and that, you know, sometimes it kind of gives people this kind of extra incentive to go, that's something I've always wanted to do. This is a great reason to kind of get in because the visibility of the Irish language during Shocked and the Gaelic has always increased so much that people start to go, do you know what, now I'll find out what's going on locally. And I think it's great that this national campaign really plays out in local communities and people start thinking, do you know, I'm going to go to that class that's right beside me or I'm going to join that group or that gig's happening and, uh, you know, I didn't know that, you know, these Irish language gigs were happening. So do you know what? I'm going to go and find out and more about it. And why did you get your Irish? Because you're in Uri originally, aren't you? Yeah, I am, yes. And uh, I learned it in secondary school. There's a great teacher. 
and you know it's true with the say. You see, having a great teacher, Motion Morgan, she um, was a fantastic. That mean it was Ulster Irish that you learned. Ulster Irish, yeah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, no. We can get into the debate about that there, my but father, obviously I'm very biased towards Ulster. Excuse me, I never knew what he was talking about. Um, <laughs> Eva, before we go, give us a while we're doing the, the list of things. What you have mentioned the book before I throw sure. you. Sure. Well, you know, speaking of misinformation, uh, my book's called mm-hmm. Social Capital, and there is a chapter about misinformation and basically how COVID kicked off this swathe of misinfo online, and that's what we're seeing now. With the direct result of that really is what we're seeing around the misinfo about the referendum. So, if you want to find out more about the roots of why people are spreading misinfo online in Ireland in particular, then sure, pick up Social Capital. It's in your library too. You don't have to spend any money. It's an all good bookshops yeah. now. Eva <laughs> Barry, <laughs> author and uh, freelance journalist, Connor Pope, consumer affairs correspondent with the Irish Times and presenter of the Complaints Bureau Thursday. Or one of the, I'm not a presenter. Only Sorry, a presenter, the, just because uh, I, don't, I don't want to be, you know. One of the consumer champions <laughs> from right. the Charlie's Angels team, the Farrah Fawcett <laughs> of that team. And uh, Ursula Lee Havish, political commentator. Thank you all very much. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.